Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Alan Gator Gamble to my Terry Holtz. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? <laughs> Get it or take no crap. <laughs> and our very own Gene Mach. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I, I don't, I don't really know Keaton. what to say. Oh, I know. Oh. I remember. Does it feel good to be Michael Keaton. That's what. It, that's the question. It always feels good to be Michael Keaton. It also feels good to know exactly where you're headed every time you you were going to go this way. I was like, well, he's pulling other guys. Hundred percent. So I uh, so, uh, I'm just disappointed that you didn't tell us to uh, don't go chasing waterfalls or uh, <laughs> inform us that uh, in the outro we need to make sure that we we creep. Every yeah. every single time I watch that movie, I forget how funny Michael Keaton is, but I never <laughs> quote him. He's delightful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's so funny. All right, so so uh, we're we're headed into free agency. The Seahawks have made some moves. We've tra- traded and signed a few players. We've bolstered the ranks from within. A lot of re-signings this week. So let's just go over them real quick. Let's start with the re-signings first. Running back Chris Carson brought back uh, two point five million dollar cap hit this year. A little cap uh, massaging by the front office with the void year third year. That means that the third year will have uh, we'll have some some money that uh, we pay Chris Carson whether or not he plays for the Seahawks. So if you hear that void year thing, that's what that means is that basically that year is just, we're paying you a bonus in this year and the rest of your salary is fake. It's a dead money year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're just, we're basically committing to pay you this much money. It's the Bobby Bonilla contract. Uh, (laughs) If you, if you love baseball, you know about this. Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid by the Mets, right? When's the last year (laughs) of Bobby Bonilla's contract? Do you know, Kevin? Uh, He gets paid by Baltimore too. So I can't remember what year it all ends. So, it's because they made part of the contract I do, I do know Bobby Bonilla day is July 1st. That's mm-hmm. the day he gets paid. And uh, I just Googled it. He gets paid $1.2 million on, on July 1st until 2035. Uh, yep. So, so that's pretty cool. You said it was good to be Michael Keaton, man. It's good to be, a, Bobby, good Bonilla. To be Bobby Bonilla. No kidding. Yeah. Was, the, the real question is what lives longer, his contract or Bobby Bonilla? I mean, he's 58 right now, so he's got to make it to 72. I think he's got it. Bobby Bonilla day. What a day. Uh, he'll be he'll been paid $29.8 million for one season that he did not play for the Mets. You know what my favorite part of that, that was? They split, that they split over like the course of like a million years. What you know why that happened? Because I don't know why. Because the, the, the Mets. Oh, oh wait, no. Because because uh, um, Ponzi schemes and stuff. Yes. Like, yep. Yeah, they were Bernie part Madoff. of the Bernie Madoff thing. So they were yeah. like, we're going to have $11 billion anyway um, about that. Yeah. Okay. So Chris Carson's back. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about Chris Carson being back? Uh, can I answer the the ancillary question of I feel really good that we made Russ happy. And Russ is very. He was very pleased with the Chris I'm, Carson signing. I'm very Jake, glad that we we yielded to Russ's demands. And when Jake keeps when Jake keeps tweets at excitement, you know that Russ was excited. That's that's seriously. <laughs> Jake keeps is the uh, Seattle media voice of Russell Wilson. The so. Russ whisperer. Looking at how much money we have in free agency and looking how many holes are on the roster, I feel about how I should about the Chris Carson deal. I think yeah. that we <laughs> we didn't overpay, but I would have paid, rather have paid less. Uh, I like Chris Carson, but man, really? We, we did that, huh? Right. right fit, right team, $5 million a year is the right price. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it is, it's a good deal. Like, I, I can't get on it up too much. I know. Is it only $5 million a year? Is that yeah, really all it is? Okay. It's 10.425 over two years, two and a half this year, seven. But that means it's like eight next year. Okay. I guess I, I misread it then. Then I am feeling a little better about it. Yeah. So, and then the third year, obviously the void year, I think we pay him, was it like 3 million or something to not play for the Seahawks in three or years? Or we can be out after this year and we'll have like 2 million or 2 to 3 million in dead cap. For next year. Yeah, there's there's outs just built, out. there's a lot of outs built it built into this deal. All right, Kevin, how about you? You excited to have Chris Carson back? Uh, yeah, I think he's a really good fit for the system that we brought in. Um, like he's he's kind of an ideal runner for that Ram style like uh, outside zone. Yes, this this is exactly what I was going to say. So I'm keep going. I'm getting. I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, I think that it's um, a very small price to pay for a number one running back, which is what he is. And I think because. The way I look at it is, if we didn't re-sign Chris Carson, I probably wanted to get two dudes, right? And uh, one of them would probably be about $3 million. The other one would probably be about $2 million. I want, like, a veteran and then 
maybe a rookie or maybe like um, another guy who can round out the roster a little bit. Cause I think we all can agree that we can't really lean on Homer or um, Dallas. DJ Dallas for anything right now. And so if I'm going to pay that much for two guys, or I can pay that much for a guy who I think can be like a top five to 10 running back in the NFL. Then I like the one where I get the top five to 10 guy and potentially like am able to either like, so let, let's say we pick up a dude in the sixth round and that guy is the next Chris Carson. Well, then that means that we can just turn Chris Carson into picks. Yeah. Fair. Chris Carson is really good and watching him play in a uh in a system like the Rams one will be an absolute joy. So I'm over the moon <laughs> about this pickup. It is such a good deal for the Seahawks. Chris Carson is going to look excellent uh in this offense. It is awesome. I'm so into it. Uh that's it. Next up, center Ethan Posich back one year, $3 million uh, with a void year next year for $1 million. So this year we're only paying him two of the $3 million. Uh, this is, I'm just going to take this one from the top. This is fine. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. Uh, we obviously need to have a center on the roster. But when you look at the press release the Seahawks released, they said <clears throat> that they value... <laughs> I really want to drive this point home, so I'd make sure to clear my throat first. <laughs> uh, that they value Ethan Postich's ability to play tackle, guard, and center. You know what that says to me? Backup. Like he, they see him as a backup. They do not see him as a uh, as a starter player on this team in the ideal version of their offseason. Now, if everything goes wrong, he's there and he will play center and he will be average to slightly above average but that is uh they they paid him his money to to come in and kind of be super sub i think uh because jordan simmons was not cutting it as the super sub let me just throw that out there people i've seen people complimenting jordan simmons and i'm like guys did we watch the same guy (laughs) uh he is not the answer he had some games where he was like adequate and then he had some games where that one he was just like on he was basically like we could have put a blocking dummy out there he he had that one really really good game, where he like shut down uh, Aaron Donald. And everyone was like, "That's it, he's the future." But it's like that was just one day, and the other days were not as exciting. So yeah, well, right. I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. That gives us the flexibility, and the other thing is, it gives us a guy who, it gives us a floor at center that makes it so we're not like strapped where we get stuck overspending or overdrafting just to get a body to come in and play center, which is what you don't want. So like good use of free agency dollars, like neat thumbs up. Yeah. Eric, do you want to say anything about Ethan Postich or do you want to move on to Kevin's favorite player, his love, his love life, his, his biggest interest? You know, you know how I feel about Kevin's uh, triumphs and joys. Let's go there. All right. Benson Mayoa back two years, 8.8 million Uh, has an out, right? So we can get out after one year. I believe so. Uh, yeah. If that's the rumor I've heard. And so, yeah, Ben Samuel, solid edge player, not the best edge player in the universe or anything, <clears> but uh, a really solid depth piece can can play the position. Uh, all right, Kevin, go ahead. Tell us why you love Ben Samuel so much. I mean, four and a half million for a future Hall of Famer is a steal of a deal <laughs> in this nice. NFL market. Nice. Okay, now Good that start. I've got the obligatory meme mm. over. Um, I think we saw Benson Mayo's value last year in the first, uh, what, seven games of the season, the first six games of the season, whatever it was, um, weeks one through seven, he had 344 snaps and he was not super productive. He was overused. Then Dunlap came over and he was able to be in like the 25 to 40 snap region and he immediately became a really solid rotational uh, edge who could get you some pressures and sacks. He had 20 pressures and four sacks in eight games after Dunlap came over. That was on 88 fewer snaps. So it looks like we're lining him up for a role where he'll have between 25 and 40 snaps and he'll be productive. Like, neat. That's cool. Hmm. It's six or six to eight sacks and a solid rotation player. If you have to lean on Benson Mayo too much, we saw that last year, it can get pretty bad up front. But uh, if he's part of a rotation... And uh, I think this team certainly sees him as that. Then, then yeah, we'll 
he's he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, he does fill the Leo position up, so now we probably, if at this point, you know, it dries up, a bunch of these edge rushers decide like, hey, I'm not signing. I'm waiting until after the draft, hoping someone gets desperate because they miss in the draft. Uh, then, I mean, we're not totally screwed. <laughs> Right. <laughs> We're, it's pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Like edge is pretty dire. I said this on Twitter. Like at this point, this roster has no uh, like huge gaping holes, but it has some position groups that definitely leave something to be desired. And I think edge is probably at the top of the list and right, specifically right ahead Leo. of corner, right ahead of cornerback. And so having Mayo, I mean, yeah, it's still not great at defensive line, although we don't know what Darrell Taylor is. And I think that's something a lot of people are leaving out is that Darrell Taylor could be a guy. And if he is a guy, then that totally raises the the floor of this this uh, defensive line group pretty significantly, in my opinion. But yeah, Benson's back. Also back along the defensive line, Puna Ford and Brandon Monet. I know you love the beefy boys, Eric. Ford and Monet, excited to see those guys back? Yeah, I really am, uh, especially... I mean, this podcast has loved Puna Ford since day one. We we know how important he is and how important he would be to this team. It's honestly showing up the defensive line is very important and keeping our young guys on the team, giving them a chance to to blow up a little or if if nothing else, just stay within their consistency. It's very good moves. The Seahawks and guys who get drafted too late because they are short. Name a better duo. <laughs> Right, Russell Wilson, Ford. It's just a just a tr- Tyler Lockett. It's a tradition, all the way back with Nofa Tatupu. A tradition unlike any other. Um, yeah, those are good deals. They're both good deals. Monet at eight eight fifty is, I think, awesome. Same with Neil. Those RFA tenders are really nice deals. Those those are both productive rotation players that that are going to put in work. That they're solid backups. They're reliable. I like them. So excited about that. Uh, okay, and special teams ace Nick Ballore is back. Kevin. Balor, <laughs> the, the mustache, the stash is back, baby. Let's go. Yeah, the gunner. Oh, man. I, You know what? The thing is that helps me out is that on the depth chart, I started – I keep a depth chart on another spreadsheet. Then uh, I started just listing him as special teams ace, and it made me feel better because before I listed him at fullback, and I was like, I was like ugh, fullback, like, ugh. But now I'm like special teams ace, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Nick Balor, the stash, baby. Let's go. You know, that's, <laughs> he's the ace. He's the – the gunner. Now the thing is, I don't know if a, how many of the special teams aces a roster should have, but I think it's like one. And we it's, had like it's like one and a half. <laughs> we had like four last year, so that yeah, was a problem. <laughs> so so maybe maybe it is this year. Let's let's cut down on special teams aces and just have the one, just the stash, just the stash is good enough, um, and uh, I'm okay with that. Then uh, new signings. Here we go. So we got some new guys to come in. As we, as mentioned before, the cornerback group is a little dire. Uh, we bring in Akella Witherspoon, one year, four million dollars. Kevin. I know you've been scouting Akello, watching a little bit, uh, looking at his stats. What 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 stood out to you about Akello Witherspoon? I know you checked his draft profile, so I'm not going to talk about his body type. Uh, I'll let you get all hot and bothered about that. So instead, I'm going to talk about his career to this point. Um, He had a really promising rookie year in 2017. Uh, It kind of reminds me of like the year that everyone thought Flowers might be good. And then in 2018... I'll go ahead and put money in the swear jar for this. His 2018 was dog shit. Like it was awful. Um, it was it was really bad. He but the whole secondary sucked that year. They had really bad safety play, and so the net result was just coverage across the board was miserable. Even Richard Sherman uh, had like a 68 PFF coverage grade, which is like a, uh, about as bad as it gets for him. So then in 2019, he basically lost his job and was below average in some spot work. And so 2019, he comes in. Um, they're trying basically to not use him. And then at the end, they get kind of desperate for DBs. And he has this three starts at the end of the game, at the end of the year against Dallas, Arizona, and Seattle, where he's just lights out. The dude plays like basically a pro bowler for three games. And so it's this really weird roller coaster where depending on what you're looking at, you see a lot of variety of play. He's a guy where I feel a lot better if we can help kind of protect him with some safety play. I think he needs that over the top as he works out how to be better at kind of jamming along the line and using his length a little better. And he also needs to clean up his footwork, but that's what Pete's really good at helping people with. Okay, so let's talk physical profile. 98th percentile height, 
93rd percentile arm length, 93rd percentile har, uh, hand size, bursty, 92nd percentile vertical broad jump, 82nd percentile uh, broad, regular, broad jump. I said vertical broad jump, vertical jump, and then broad jumps, 82nd percentile. He's fast. He ran a fast cone, three cone. He ran a fast 20-yard shuttle. His most comparable players on on uh, mock draftables, Sean Murphy Bunting and Richard Sherman. And the biggest difference between him and Richard Sherman is is he's significantly faster. Um, yep. He ran a four four five forty at the combine, um, which is which is pretty speedy for for one of these guys. Um, I think Sean Murphy Bunting's another good uh, comparison for him, although Murphy Bunting's a little shorter. Akella Witherspoon is a is a unique, talented athlete. That up to this point, I mean, he's he's get he's got kind of jerked around, right? Like Kevin said, and there's a lot of potential here. The thing is, is that it is this is high risk, high reward. The reward could be great. Akella Witherspoon could be amazing this year because the physical tools are all there. But he also could be Quinton Dunbar from last year where he gets hurt some and when he's hurt playing, he's not healthy. Or he could be Trey Flowers where the physical tools don't match up with the play on the field. He He's missing something that would really make him stand out. And so what we need to see is can he put it all together? If he can put it all together, he's in, he has legitimate number one corner potential. If but there's a good chance that he's just not there, right? And so it's tough. It's a really tough uh, road that he has ahead of him. And I think we'll talk about this later. But I think bringing in another corner to push him is would be smart. Uh, whether that's through the draft or through uh, free agency, bringing in another cornerback to push him and mentor him. Or, or be behind him and mentor him would be wise of the Seattle Seahawks. But either way, the the sky is the limit for this kid. Like he could be the you know our Richard Durham. He could lock down half of the field. Like he has the physical tools to do that. It's just can he put it all together? So I'm excited about the Akella Withers swimming signing. It's the kind of signing I wish the Seahawks would make more. These high risk, high reward signings. The thing is, I'd want them to throw two darts. You know what I mean? Don't just throw the one uh, Akella Witherspoon and then that's it free agency's over we're done throw another dart at cornerback because you don't want to just get stuck with a Kelly Weatherspoon Trey Flowers and DJ Reed that is a recipe for disaster uh or at least f- f- consistent frustration how about that uh, do you have a Kelly Weatherspoon thoughts Eric did you like when he shimmied on DK last year after he got that I forgot that pass breakup did you like that? uh no I forgot all about that uh, I'm I'm okay with <laughs> I'm okay with this signing it's it's clear that we're going in with Neil and Witherspoon as our corners. And that is definitely a, a possible downgrade from Shaq Griffin. Let's, let's face it. It would be nice to have Shaquille Griffin on this team. We kind of realized that best case scenario that would happen. Like we'd, we'd underpay him like we did Chris Carson, maybe not that much, but we'd somehow find a way to underpay Shaquille Griffin. And that did not happen. So, like you said, I would have loved to have thrown another dart, and maybe we will, but that dart may be in the draft when we combine every one of our draft picks to get a second or something. Who knows? All right. Offensive guard Gabe Jackson's coming in from in a, via trade from the uh, Las Vegas, I almost said Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, two years, 19.2. Sorry. They did convert some of his contract <laughs> into bonus, so he's a little cheaper this year and a little more expensive next year. Uh but Gabe Jackson is good at football. I'm not really going to say a lot about this. Um, he's nasty. He plays with the mean streak. He knocks people down. Gets gets. He's the kind of guy who, after he pancakes a guy, he'd shove him down in the dirt too. Like he <laughs> he's gnarly. He's he's dirty. He's good. Like he's he's a good offensive lineman. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. And uh, every post about the Seahawks official Twitter has made about him so far. Russell Wilson has liked it. So yeah, I'm. If Russell Wilson likes it, I like it because that's where I'm at this offseason. So go, go, go Gabe Jackson. That's that's it. Thanks for the update, Nathan Heaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys got any uh, Gabe Jackson thoughts that I didn't cover there? I've got a lot. So, Eric, you want to take first? Yeah, I'll just say I, I like the signing quite a bit. Again, it seems very Russ-oriented, but the the guard play, he's certainly an upgrade over uh, Upati and Jordan Simmons. This looks to shore us up, especially when we need to go looking for a tackle in a year or two. This will shore up all the other part of the line that, you know, frankly, is going to need some shoring up. Uh, Interior offensive linemen can play into their mid thirties. And he has a play style where there's a good chance he'll age pretty well. 
He lost eight games for a knee a couple seasons ago, but otherwise he's pretty reliably going to play a lot of snaps. Like, he's never played less than 700 snaps. He only has one season under 800 snaps. Uh, for comparison, Yupati played 531 snaps last season, and he played over 1,000 in his first season. So I think we all agree that Yupati's first season was not particularly good. But last season, um, you know, with his mom working for PFF, he was inspired. And his pass blocking really <laughs> took a step forward. And their season-long pass blocking grade for him was a 62. Gabe Jackson's worst ever pass blocking grade was a 69.9 last nice. season. Nice. I knew you were going to say it. So Super nice. Another thing, too, is if you don't like PFF grades, and I don't blame you if you do, because they're... Uh, they are, Arbitrary? Even though they watch every play? They're Madden, they're Madden ratings for football nerds uh, mm -hmm. that are even nerdier than people who play Madden. Uh, I mean, you can just look at his his blocking stats. I mean, he just does not allow allow, allow a lot of pressures. Uh, he's never allowed more than 26 pressures in a season. And like Kevin said, he never misses time. So it's not because of injuries. Uh, and he has allowed one or fewer sacks in five of his seven NFL seasons, which is uh, – that is something. <laughs> Yeah, and I think he's a great he's a great pass blocker. Yeah, and any decline, I think if you watch the last couple seasons, um, people have been bringing up some issues, but the issues look very familiar to me. They look like schematic issues because a couple Tom years Cable ago, bad. they went and got Tom Cable to coach their offensive line. And so congratulations, Tom Cable is so crap that he and makes Gabe Jackson not look amazing. Us. And a lot of people, too, like, has said Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, like, there's, like, sneaky, like, whisperings that they wanted to get out of there to get away from Tom Cable. They don't like him. I don't so, like, him. That makes me hey, like him even more. You drive away, drive away your, like, two, you know, they had they had a lot of money in that offensive line, but that offensive line was extremely good. Yeah. And it, it was getting worse because Cable. Because Tom Cable never coaches a top offensive line. Well, you got to convert some defensive linemen or get like a real project guy in the first round, like Colton Miller. And uh, I mean, come on, Kevin, they're they're really great offensive lines. The you know the first day he takes them over. Okay, so yeah, I agree. <laughs> this is a, this is a really good this is a really good pickup for the team. I think the only question is, um, does Jackson or Lewis move to the left side? Jackson played the left side early in his career, and he's really good over there. I think he, but I think he's a more natural right guard. I there, think Lewis is a little more athletic, so he might make sense over the left. But there's I'm not a third really option, Kevin. It. There's a third option. I don't like the third option. I don't think Lewis is a center, and I hate this. I think he could be though. He was he was fine last year when he played center, and he seemed to like it. Russ seemed to like it. You know, it's like uh, I don't know. I think it could it could work. It's not like Damian Lewis, it, but I don't like it. <laughs> Damian Lewis is good. Is good. So I, I'm not I'm not too worried about where he plays. Uh, but that, that it's an option you have on the table because. Honestly, the goal should be to try to figure out a way to make Ethan Posich the super backup that he should be, right? Yeah. Like Ethan Posich should make a decent amount of money because he can play a lot of offensive line positions at a, a average, slightly below average to average level. You're and a like C minus in three spots. Awesome. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, I would say C minus C and C plus like C minus tackle, C guard and a C plus center. Like it, it's cool. Like, oh, great. You're you're. You can do all these things for us. We can now only we can carry eight or nine offensive linemen and use those roster spots for more special teams aces. So, <laughs> <laughs> got Easy there. Hey, hey, we, we had we, there's a reason we had number one special teams in the league last year. Okay, it's it was the aces, baby. Four oh, aces. About? It was punt hub. Which one do you think Nick Belor was? Do you think he's the ace? Which ace is he? Is he a spades, clubs, diamonds, or hearts? Easy is obviously hearts. So yeah. Nico Thorpe is the ace of hearts. Is Nick Bullor? He's ace he's the ace of diamonds. That dude's all diamonds. Oh yeah, baby diamonds. All right, I like it. Um, that, uh, that I would, would say I mean uh, Bember, Bember Kerbin was the ace of clubs, and then the ace of spades would be uh, Shaquem Sha Griffin. Yeah, right. yeah, because that's the that's the Rest card of peace. death, and Shaquem Griffin just murdered people. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, so uh, Gabe Jackson, good. We all agree. I watched the tape. It sounds like Kevin took a more statistical approach. We arrived at the same <laughs> solution. I will say this: Gabe Jackson, if he struggles at anything, it is uh, run blocking. But I do think our zone run scheme will be a good fit for him and, and he'll be fine in that mm -hmm. regard all right gerald everett bring it in tight end one year six million a little pricier than i expected for that position but i'm, I'm into it J gerald everett has a boatload of potential he comes into a tight end room that already has a, a talented player and then a young player developing in colby parkinson and will disley so it's not like we need him to be i don't know who's the best hunter henry you know we don't need him to be hunter henry we need him to be just 
the best version of Gerald Everett. And I do think that there's a real possibility that like 600 yards plus from a tight end is in the cards. And if you play fantasy football last year, you know, that's actually really good because tight end is like dying. There's three guys. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's like tight end tight ends. There's three really good ones. And then after that, it and is two of them are on the Patriots drop off. Well, oh, I mean, I don't no, even count those true. guys. Cause like after week five last year, this is a nice fantasy stat for you guys. Uh, after week five last year, uh, who's, uh, who scored more fantasy points for the Titans, Johnny Smith or uh, their backup Forster. Well, I would say based on the question, Forster. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. <laughs> so it's like that. This is yeah, they're in trouble. Like that, the the tight end position is just kind of in a weird spot where there's these guys that are huge game changers, but there's there's so few of them, right? There's only three of these guys that can really affect the game like that. And so, yeah, I'm I'm a. I'm think I think he's good. He's in the solid. He could solidly be in that that next tier. You know that second tier or third tier of tight ends that you know affects the game, moves the chains, uh, plays good football, um, can go to the inside and outside. He's a flexible piece. So I like him. I like. You know what I think is weird. I keep hearing people harp on this contract, comparing it to the Olsen contract. I don't get that. This guy's like ten years younger. Yeah, it's it. Not only is he ten years younger, he's twenty seven years old. Um, but he's never been given like that number one tight end kind of workload. And uh, I think that matters. I think that matters a lot, actually. He's just never had the opportunity. And I do think he signed this deal, this one-year deal, to in hopes of getting an opportunity like that where he's going to get a lot of targets and be able to earn himself a slightly bigger, more long-term contract when the uh, when the cap issues that all the teams are having kind of clear up. So. Yeah, yeah, I think there's kind of two thoughts I have on it. Uh, six mil is more than I wanted. I'm, I'm with you on that one. When I look at probably there's players that are like 80% of Gerald Everett that are signing for like two and a half mil. <clears throat> well, as I say, there's there's players that are like I'm 80% with you on that. of Gerald Everett that are still available. Like is Trey Burton for three million like better than or that much worse than Gerald Everett for six? Like, I don't know. But I also feel like Gerald Everett is at least 80% of Johnny Smith, and Johnny Smith is making 13 million. So, like, yes. it, it depends on how I want to analyze this. So, I think that's I think the best way to analyze Solid it. signing. Hunter, that, Henry, Hunter Henry was the real big prize. I, I think Hunter Henry is better than Johnny Smith. I don't know why that kind of got reversed in the narrative, but. I think it's because of his injury history. Hunter Henry is a guy who. When he's played, it's been phenomenal, but he's been a little bit injury prone. Okay, what what do you think Smith's uh, career high on catches is? Oh, I would have Smith. no idea. Just like it's just kind of crazy to me because people act like Johnny Smith's this established, like it's a like great 53? player. 41. I was okay, going to guess yeah. 63, so that's crazy. Yeah, it's not, it's just not that, not that high. And then we've got like Gerald Everett, do you know what his career high interceptions is? About the same. 41 yeah <laughs> it's the same number it's 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 insane to me that people are acting like this is like johnny smith was some some can't miss perfect guy and ryan fitzpatrick loves i think it's ferkser by the way not forster but andrew <laughs> ryan fitzpatrick or ryan I'll tannehill be honest, i was leaning loves, completely on you on that one <laughs> ryan ryan tannehill loves throwing to tight ends and so it's like he the opportunity was there for him to break out and it just didn't happen so yeah, that's 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 kind of where I'm at, uh, John New Smith. I just wanted to rant a little bit because I think people are being way too hard in this deal. It's I think a lot of people don't want to pay money for a tight end. They want to draft a tight end and have him be okay because the last time we got a stud tight end, it was Jimmy Graham and he wasn't great for us. And whoa, whoa, whoa! He had like uh, ten touchdowns that one year. Yes, yes. Some did. people think he's the greatest tight end. Some of people all time. think he's the greatest tight end of all hey, time. And, I mean, and you know what? He, Russ likes him so much that he thought about going to the Bears, which is like, <laughs> oh, jeez. I think there's a big difference between trading a starting center and a first-round pick for uh, Jimmy Graham to then pay him the money truck versus, like, giving Gerald Everett a middle-class free agent contract to come in and 100%. flex tight end spot. We didn't have anyone to play. 100%, Kevin, but I also don't. I think there's a lot of promise with the Rams system and how Gerald Everett's going to break out in the system. And I'm not, I don't really, I'm not expecting him to break out. If he has a really awesome year for us, I'm going to be, I, I, it's not pleasantly surprised. I'm going to be excitedly surprised. Yeah. So we did need another tight end. I know that, but when I saw it, I felt it was the biggest layup that I didn't care about. 
Kevin, the, so, the, 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 oh, uh, oh, if you wanted to do one more Gerald Everett thought? I was going to do one more uh, quick Gerald Everett thing. So breakout season, um, like, uh, how would you feel if we got, like, I don't know, like, 400 yards and, like, a couple touchdowns? That's probably, that's in, like, a normal Gerald Everett season. And I wouldn't hate it. It wouldn't be that right. bad. It's fine. I feel if, like we slightly overpaid for that. Maybe I wanted it for five. Yeah, if, and if he gets 600 yards or like five or more touchdowns, then that was worth every penny. And he yep. knows the system too. That's another thing that I think people are underrating is that he can come in and be ready to go in the system. He and knows, help the rest of that room learn it. He knows what the Rams want and what they do. And it, if he was a knucklehead or an idiot or not good, do you think you get, I guarantee you Waldron would have been there being like, no, not that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because you know, so Waldron knows what he's getting here. He knows what he's getting. He was like, go out and get Gerald. I want Gerald on this team. And so that that matters to me a little bit. That has value. Um, Kerry Hyder, Edge, signed today. Three three years, $16.5 million. Um, so Kerry Hyder played for San Francisco last year. He was not expected to get a lot of burn, but because of their defensive end injuries uh, to just, Justin Houston and uh, and Bosa. Nick Bosa, that he ended up playing quite a lot. Brian Baldinger, who is one of my favorite uh, favorite follows on Twitter. If you're not following Baldy, he's pretty fun. Uh, he did a breakdown on him early in uh, the offseason, calling him the best value of the defensive end class. Uh, and after watching a little bit of Kerry Hyder, I tend to agree. He's, he is a tremendous value. And the th- fact that we got him for three years, if he t- continues to develop at all, uh, he's an undrafted player. Uh, he's He's... 29 so i wouldn't expect him to tick up a little bit but he really got given his first big opportunity in quite some time last year and performed well nine sacks 33 uh tackles uh, set the edge well in the in the run game i think he's a good solid rotational defensive end and he's going to play across from kevin's favorite benson mayoa in the uh in the in the five tech so right that my brain hurts today guys but yes he's gonna play five technique Uh, so you mind if i do a quick breakdown on that just for people listening so uh our defensive ends run in two styles so we have the five tech so think about like mike b red bryant frank clark those are five techs um they're expected to kind of two gap in the run game on either side of the tackle and they're expected to what it, well, handle what the run and rush the passer. What if you're Kansas City and you have like three years of Frank Clark take that says he plays really good at five tech, but you're like, no, let's play him at seven tech anyway. Put him way out on the outside and then be like, why does he suck? Yeah, you could definitely run him at wide nine and then wonder why he can't sprint to the quarterback. That's that's <laughs> another thing you can do if you'd like. Uh, 55 uh, pressures last year for Kerry Hyder too. I yeah. mean, th- these are these are good periphery pass rush numbers. Like they they make me very happy. Thirty one run stops, uh, just a real solid all around year. So the uh, Leo anyway, spot continue. is the Cliff Averill, Chris Clemens spot. So the Leo spot is right now. So I will say, Kerry Hyder makes me feel good about our five tech because our five tech spot is now Kerry Hyder, Alden Robinson, and then like whatever non three tech snaps that uh, Rasheem Green and LJ, and Collier, LJ Collier play. Yeah. Like that, that's I, perfectly fine. And I, I want to talk about Collier for a second, just in this, in this idea, because we're talking about five techs and three techs. Mm-hmm. I think the team, when they drafted LJ Collier, they originally saw him being a combination of being able to switch between those two roles, the five technique on the outside and the three technique on the inside. And I honestly think LJ Collier is much better at three technique on the inside, and they should probably just start playing him as a D tackle that he, he hmm. doesn't need to be getting a whole bunch of outside snaps unless you know obviously the rotation is thin or or uh or we're not able to pick up any more guys and we just kind of need to spell guys on the outside but uh that he should be playing more three technique this inside uh position that kevin's talking about yeah and Hyder kind of allows that so you made a comment about him getting a lot of run last year he did get a lot of run one other time in 2016 with detroit he played 709 snaps 440 pass rush snaps he had 55 pressures and eight sacks. That's one pressure for every eight pass rushes, which is the equivalent of Bud Dupree or Shaq Barrett. Now, last year was the first time since then he got a lot of snaps. In 2017, his leg fell off. And then he was recovering in 2018. 2019, he had limited play, but like he was pretty effective in that play. He had a pressure yeah. every 10 pass rush snaps. Yeah. Then last year, he had 722 snaps. 437 pass rush snaps, 
for 55 pressures, nine sacks, one pressure every 7.94 pass rushes. So again, that's the two times that he's gotten a lot of run and a lot of pass rush run. He's come in and he's played like a solid mid-tier pass rushing starter. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I think that this is a sneaky good signing because we have him for three years, controlled at a pretty good price. He's going to be a solid rotation player, right? And so, yeah, it's just it's just a good signing, and it frees up other guys, like you said, Kevin. Play three technique. We could play, uh, we could clean up our three technique, one technique, and then Leo rotations and and kind of uh, set set that up. So then, finally, uh, now we're gonna play a game. You know I love games. You know I love making little games for you guys. So this is called Seahawks Would You Rather. So I'm just going to give you two potential options here. Okay, I'm going to lay out two options for you. The Seahawks can create more cap room by like converting Russell Wilson's salary into bonus or converting or extending Tyler Lockett or cutting Jaron Reed. But I don't think they'll do that. But um, right now they have like no gaping holes. I think there are still positions of need. Cornerback and edge are the, the top two. But there, there's no gaping need. So I'm going to give you guys some options and ask you, like, which one, which hole would you rather fill? You know, which would you rather do? So let's start with this. Would you rather, to help the defense, would you rather sign Richard Sherman or Carlos Dunlap? Carlos Dunlap. Why? Uh, I want the pass rush, and I don't want old man Sherman back on this team just for nostalgic's sake. It, was, it would not be just for nostalgia's sake. Sherman is, has that is for me. Sherman has put up good numbers consistently, even as he has slowed down. Um, I think he could play in the system still very well. Uh, but here, just to make it different, I mean, would you? How about, what if it's Casey Hayward instead? Do you still yeah. pick the? Do you still pick the defensive end? You know, I might just because we've always said on the show, and it's there's some evidence to back it up that that the the secondary is is vastly helped by a great pass rush. Uh, the, the covering of receivers starts with the pass rush. Also, to to uh, you know bring up a point that my good friend Kevin Garber made three years ago when Richard Sherman signed with San Francisco, Richard Sherman is probably going to be good for a year and a half, maybe two years of that contract. And then his final year, and Kevin, I'm paraphrasing you, but tell me if I'm at all wrong. Kevin said that last year is, is you know, he's going to be overpaid. And I, I just don't, I don't really... I don't care to see how much gas is left in the Sherman. I think Sherman will unless will it's an absolute like perfect a, signing. I think it could end up getting like a one I don't want, deal, but yeah. I don't want seven seven games, uh, nine games out of Richard Sherman. <laughs> so, you're so pessimistic about Sherman. I, I but even if it's I'm, Casey no, Hayward or some other guy. Uh, AJ Bouye. It, it really uh, have to be the right K, deal. Uh, Casey Steven Nelson, Malcolm Butler, Brian Poole. I don't know, man. Uh, Malcolm Butler, that could be something, couldn't it? Uh, imagine, imagine being like, "Hey, I, I know you guys hate me, but I'll tell you what, I sure am glad to be with this team that I, you know, really kept you from another <laughs> championship." That's <laughs> that's a little, it's a little like, uh, geez, I keep hearing that name, and I'm like, uh, I might kind of just want to see him go somewhere else. All right, Kevin, I'm with sh- Eric sh- here for a different reason. Right. Um, I think it's going to be harder to draft a Leo in this draft class and have them immediately come in and help out. Um, whereas with our defensive coaching staff, I think it'd be easier for us to draft a toolsy corner and have them come in and immediately help out. I would rather have Sherman because I think he's the better talent. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It, it, we probably need a little of both here, but but uh, I just think... Sh- Sherman is very, 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 very talented, and so I would, so I want him. All right, uh, can I can help the offense a little bit, Eric? Can help the offense. How would, would you rather have Antonio Brown or uh, guard Trey Turner or tackle Russell Okung or center Austin Reader? Just pick an offensive lineman from that list: Trey Turner, Russell Wilson, Austin Reader, or you can have Antonio Brown. Same price. All things are equal. What do you think? Well, we we go with this with the position of need, and let's face it: this is the off season of bend over backwards and make Russ happy. Nothing is going to make Russ happier than big clown Tonio Brown on the <laughs> left and or right side and or middle of the field. So yeah, let's uh, let's make Russ happy and let's just sign clown Tonio. I, I actually, the so here's the thing. I think the offensive lineman side of this is probably better from like a football perspective. We're set at wide receiver, pretty set. I don't think, I think Swain is actually fine as a number three receiver. And so we don't need Antonio Brown. It's a total luxury item. But 
it is the ultimate vote of confidence that this front office could give to Russell Wilson to say like, all right, we're going to sign Antonio Brown and he, you're in charge of him. You know what I mean? Like you want him, oh, yeah. we'll get him. Oh, and you're yeah. kind of in, char- you're in charge of him. You, you are, you are taking care of Antonio Brown. And if he screws up, I mean, look, we misplaced our trust in you and we have a problem. Right. So like giving him that like kind of responsibility is like the ultimate vote of confidence that, that the Seahawks can do. And so I, I would, from that perspective of Antonio Brown, I also think he's really talented, but that's kind of secondary to there's so much, there's so much that goes into that signing. That's off the football field. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. That's off the field from a football perspective. I mean, Antonio Brown is only like three years removed from being like maybe the best non quarterback in football. Right. We're not that far away from that being a truth. And so, yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just think you, if Russ really wants Antonio Brown, if that story is not smoke, if that's a real thing, then I would take Antonio Brown. Uh, Kevin, how about you? I have a strict requirement for this. So in that case, then we would have gone corner. And then I require if we're going to bring in Clowntonia, we have to bring in Clowny too. That way we just have Clowntown. (laughs) It's a package deal. We can't. We get bring I like it. Clown I love town. it. We bring in Clown Town, or or I want all okay, the clowns, fine. or no you can clowns have, at all. You can have Clown Clowny instead of Dunlap. That's fine. I'm okay with that. You can. Right, I, I'm more. just saying, I want all clowns or no clowns. I have requirements. I have standards. But uh, but so you you'd rather have uh the the wide receiver over the the offensive lineman? I think I would in this case because I think uh Antonio Brown represents a larger step up from our current wide receiver three than uh like austin reader would as a step up from our current center or like okung as a step up from shell or trey turner kicking damian lewis inside yeah i think i think the net gain on that is higher okay finally we want to help the defense a little more guys so do you want kj Wright or your choice of geno atkins or drill casey so here's the thing and this is kind of how I set this up because I've set it up like this. This is the, my reasoning, okay? KJ, we know he's good. We know he knows the system. We love KJ. But linebacker is not really a position of need at all. Jarrell Casey plays a position that is we definitely could use some some bolstering of the rotation. Uh, and, and really, you could pick any interior defender to stand in for Jarrell Casey at this point. Uh, Geno Atkins, Nottam Kong Su, Gerald McCoy, I guess, but uh, Danny Shelton. But yeah, it's just... Which one would you rather have, KJ or uh, Jarrell? I'll Eric. take this one first. Okay, Kevin, go ahead. Um, yeah. I think the other two are coming off of down seasons, and one's coming off an up season. I'll take KJ on this one. I think uh, KJ is going to put together a better season next year than either of those two. And I realize that we drafted Brooks, but we have this entire rookie deal to get the value out of that. I'm fine bringing KJ back in to run it back and to help kind of... I still feel like the defense is creating its next iteration and another year of KJ will help it kind of come into its own strength. Okay. Let me say one thing. The linebacker market outside of KJ, Wright Sucks right yep. now. Like there is, is KJ, Wright is the best linebacker. And then the second best guy is significantly worse than KJ, Wright. KJ, Wright is a big step up. Whereas interior D- IDL is pretty deep. So if price was equal, I might take KJ because I might think you could scrape one of these guys off the scrap heap for like the veteran minimum, but I don't know. You, you, we need interior defensive linemen. Like we need just need defensive linemen. Defensive line is kind of a problem. Right I really only feel like we need one more because I I think that Green and Collier are going to take a lot of snaps at three tech. So then we have Reed and we have Puna and we have Monet. I feel like we just need like kind of one tubba tubba to go in there. Right, and just very... be like a tub of goo. Eric, you mean my washing you... machine? Yes. KJ Wright uh, <laughs> or Jarrell or Jarrell Casey. So I I would normally be like, see you later, KJ. Uh, I really like what Kevin had to say about the about his pick for KJ Wright. I really like what you had to say, Nathan, about how the linebacker class is not so great. Having said that, everyone's waiting to see what KJ's price is going to be and bring it down. He's he's not found his suitor yet. Jarrell Casey, oh, that seems like interesting. Do you know Atkins? Last year, I would have loved it. This year, uh, yeah, it's. I think I'd probably lean a little more towards Jarrell Casey. Having said all that, I don't know uh, if we're gonna pick one KJ on a one-year deal, uh, finish up his career. I think that would be great. All right, 
Um, and that, so these are the kind of decisions that I think the Seahawks are going to go through the next couple of weeks. We're probably going to see them clear some cap, most likely through restructuring Russ. I do think that they're going to make a big commitment to Russ, you know, and then that, and, when, and through that commitment will be, uh, will be, you know, there will be, uh, because what if we, if we restructure Russ, he's not going anywhere till the whole contract's over. Yep. It is mm-hmm. basically impossible for us to trade him if we restructure him at all. Just like it was this year. This year they're like, oh, the cap number's too much. They can't trade him. That's doubly true next year if if we restructure him. So once we restructure Russ, you can really just don't have to worry about us, those trade things ever coming back. And those are the choices they're gonna have to make if they do restructure us. You know, they're gonna have to decide do we want the cornerback or the or the edge rusher? Do we want the the linebacker, the interior defender? Do we want a wide receiver? Like, or do we want you know, they could go a different direction. They could pick I, I, I thought about doing that. I thought about being like, do you guys want, you know, T.Y. Hilton or, you know, Sammy Watkins? But I wanted to have the Antonio Brown conversation because it, it's interesting for multiple reasons. So that's yeah. kind of that's kind of why I, I went that direction. So Can I just say I'm sad you didn't call it a Russ structuring? Yeah. Well, I'm, there's a reason. Okay. <laughs> Instead of the money zone. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to punthub.us and for as little as $1.24 a month, get access to the Discord, our monthly uh, off-season specials, and uh, in the regular season, our weekly uh, kind of gambling and jokes podcast. Uh, thank you to new Patreons, Hugh and Casey. Thanks for joining up. And also to Patreons, new and old, that would be... Oh, sorry. Lucas, Brett, Cooper, Greta, James, Carrie, Ryan, Tom, Brandon, Nick, Sam, Emmanuel, Bob, E.B., Flocktimus, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Michelle, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf. Thank you guys for supporting the show. And uh, yeah, if you don't have any money, you know, head over to iTunes, give us a review. Uh, tell us tell us what you like. Uh, and if you don't like it, send me a, a message on Twitter and tell me I suck. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So, so at me, movie won't you? Movie Club this week. In Discord, we watched a movie together. So in the Seahawks Nest Discord, we streamed a movie. Uh, Astro joined us, uh, the boys, and uh, we watched Maniac Cop 1 and Maniac Cop 2. A double feature. Uh, we double featured Maniac Cop. The first one was short, and at the end I was like, do you guys just want to watch Maniac Cop 2? And everyone was like, yeah, let's do it. And so, it's a direct yeah. sequel, so it only makes yeah. sense to watch it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it's one thing is, sequel. I love when movies just start directly where the last movie uh left off and boy such a big gamble it's such a gamble and boy did they do in this movie all right i have so many thoughts but you know what i'm gonna let eric start eric what'd you think about maniac cop one thing became incredibly clear to me that i was i didn't know until i started watching it and guys this whole time i thought i was a maniac cop fan I think I've been a psycho cop fan this entire time. <laughs> I was wondering if it was that or samurai cop. Yeah, well, was sa- <laughs> samurai cops a different genre, a different different side of the of the cop genre, and truly a classic in the uh, true trauma style. But not yeah, to be confused with Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, <laughs> which is part of that samurai cop. Wow, you know we've uh, already gone off the rails so fast. It, <laughs> this movie is was it ever popular? I couldn't really find that out online. No. Uh, okay, it's it's, it's kind like of a cult, cult favorite. It's, it's a cult favorite, but when it came out, yeah, it basically lost money when the first one came out, and then for yes. some reason they were just like run it back. So they did, and then they could obviously, if you see Maniac Cop two, they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get Campbell to commit to do a whole other movie, so they they murdered him <laughs> in like the first third of <laughs> Maniac Cop, <laughs> uh, which which I thought was hilarious. I was like, oh boy, uh, it was also kind of perfect for Bruce Campbell. Oh man. There's so what oh another thing too that they did between the first movie and the second movie. So the first movie has like a female lead who I would say is um I I I don't know. She's not like a your typical like oh she's so beautiful like horror movie leading lady or whatever, but then the second movie they were like, "Oh, we got to fix that." So they got <laughs> they got like the like the very attractive and also the second movie they were like, "Oh yeah, and horror movies usually have like way too much boobs." And so like they definitely did that too. They were like, "Oh yeah, it's just." Yeah, my favorite blatant boob moment was when they were like, "Hey, we definitely need to have a dead stripper in this scene so that we can then have the sheet pulled down to her navel so that we can just have boobs for an entire scene where which it completely is, doesn't need to exist." Which is so funny because that happened <laughs> in the first movie, but they're like, "Hey, guys, no boobs, no nudity here." And the second one, they're like, "You know what? Let's show boobs on the autopsy table. Let's go for it." 
yeah, it's um, it's it was certainly something. Okay, decisions were made. They, they, yeah, they definitely. So one thing I think is that in Maniac Cop, like it seemed like maybe they were going for like the slasher vibe. In Maniac Cop Two, they went for a more like B movie Gonzo vibe that I thought was a better vibe for the movies as a whole. Not that Maniac Cop One isn't a B movie. I just think that they weren't trying to make a B movie. It just happened that they were making one. Were they? Yeah, two, they did the hit killer thing and a bunch of those tricks. They were two, going off uh, my plan for the Seahawks, like just put a bunch of dudes around Robert Zadar and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, in, in one two, they didn't show Robert Zadar's face. They like hit him kind of the whole movie. In Maniac Cop two, he looks like a guy that got stung by bees a thousand times, and they showed his face as many as many times as possible, which I thought was incredible. An I incredible like, Maniac uh, Cop is choice. yoked. Oh yeah, dude, he's buff. He can throw people across the room. Uh, he can Maniac Cop is. Into, yeah, it's because he's amazing. The reason we yeah. watched this is because I looked up like what movies have St. Patrick's Day in them, and then and then uh, <laughs> it was like Maniac Cop features a St. Patrick's Day parade. And so, can I just gripe about the St. Patrick's Day parade and Maniac Cop for a second? Yes, please. Yes. Why why do St. Patrick's Day parades have so much bagpipes? Bagpipes are Scottish. Like I I am so confused by this. Do like, you want the real oh, answer? Wow. Yeah, I because Americans don't know what the difference between Scotland and Ireland is. That's a hundred percent the <laughs> yes. correct answer. <laughs> A hundred percent. The correct answer is they're like that's Celtic. <laughs> that's I thought, it. I thought Kevin was going to give us some deep dive Irish heritage. No, it's and- a, why? Why is the why is the beer green? Like this is all just stupid. Like it's yeah. it is classic. It's it's like uh, it's like the fact that Cinco de Mayo is the most celebrated holiday for the Latinx community, and it doesn't mean <laughs> dick in Mexico. Like it's yeah. the same thing. It's, but it's, it's May. I mean, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's ones that Americans celebrate, right? Exactly. Yes. Like it's, yeah, it's so bizarre. Yeah, it's May fifth, and it's Taco Tuesday. That was last year, right? Yep. Yes. Uh, and everyone was like so excited about it, and then COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best use of uh, and then COVID as a punchline that I've heard all year. Womp. Uh, yeah, so it budgeted 1.1 million and made 671k. Eric, to answer your question. <laughs> okay. So I do like that. Okay, so let's just start with Maniac Cop one though. Okay, at the beginning of the movie, I liked how they did like a thing where a woman is getting harassed. She they try to steal her purse. She runs away and she goes to she sees a person in a police uniform and that's supposed to inspire trust. And so she runs to them and it's the maniac cop and he breaks her neck and throws her to the ground uh and crushes her larynx and they they a bunch of other weird they have a really weird autopsy scene where they go into like awkward detail about the the murdering (laughs) and there's the one cop that gets progressively more nauseous (laughs) and that becomes a running gag through the whole through the whole trilogy oh yeah that that cop that cop that gets thrown out of the building in in the the end of the first movie um (laughs) And so, yeah, I like that idea of like, hey, these are people we're supposed to trust. And then now they're distrustful. And so everyone in the city, like they show a scene where like a cop goes up to talk to a lady who's broken down and she shoots him in the face. And like, like there's like this like whole thing going on. I, I appreciated that. That was the, the best acting in, in those movie. interviews is the worst acting I might have ever seen in a movie ever. No, it was bad. It was like we they, they pulled six random people off the streets and asked them to read lines like there was it was not, the room bad. It was not good. How about those hematomas? Yeah, exactly. Like about those, those. those hematomas, those are way too big for those kids. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> um, there was just so much weird stuff going on in this movie. And then, yeah, Bruce Campbell, uh, his wife thinks he's the maniac cop. And so she follows him, but actually he's just having an affair. Yep. <laughs> so, such, such a letdown. And then, then she gets killed by the maniac cop. And I would say that Bruce Campbell's character was over it in about one second. Oh, is that it was a you think it took a full second? character? <laughs> he was just like, Oh, she's dead. Oh, and then the next scene, he did not care anymore. Like, it was yeah. over. That's yeah, why he, they did a good job of establishing the mean. fact that that relationship was over. <laughs> yeah, it's like he did not care at all. Oh, that corner, though, was so weird. The uh, anyway, um, I'm trying to think that corner's in Maniac Cop 2, too. Did you notice that? Yes. They like and the, same, and the same the nauseous pop, they brought back the the main the weird yeah, the weird side characters that couldn't act like the <laughs> like the coroner and the nauseous cop i wonder if those are producers or something that's why they got parts the okay so the best part of the movie though so maniac cop one it's fine it's a solid movie it's a it's a nice little threat slasher it's got some funny parts maniac cop two it starts off and i would say the first two-thirds of the movie is 
slightly worse. It's it's worse. You're thinking this isn't going to be as good, but they build up this weird relationship between the maniac cop <laughs> and this like Cajun uh, serial killer. They're like BFFs, and it is he's murdering strippers. Yeah, he's murdering strippers and and, ta- and uh, putting their headshots on his wall or something. Played by Ben Foley. Who is that? <laughs> who was that guy? By the way, yeah, he, yeah, uh, it was it was a guy who was who he probably wrote the part for himself. Um, here, wait, let me, let me Google it. Uh, I, that, what was the character's name? Uh, it was like, it's like mad dog. Uh, Turkel. It? it was Turkel. And, uh, the actor is, uh, Leo Rossi, who's actually like a, a character actor guy who's been in a bunch of stuff. He's got like yes. 40, he's got like 40 IMDb credits. Um, but yeah, he was bud in Halloween too. He's been in a bunch of like B movies. Uh, anyway, so this guy, um, Turkel is like his weird hype man and he's like becoming friends with the maniac cop and stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, this sucks, but it, it all leads to this scene where it's, and it's kind of funny. It's making the movie watchable. And then it all leads to the scene where the maniac cop, uh, basically gets put in prison with the people who made him into the maniac cop. Well, he was already a maniac cop, but like they stabbed him and, and disfigured him and stuff. And then he's going to murder those guys and then he gets set on fire by a mall. Somehow they got a Molotov in a jail. Did, did you ever figure that out? How did they get a Molotov in the jail? I honestly uh, just I, thought it was prison wine. Uh, honestly. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, toilet wine? Uh, let's face it. <laughs> I'm not going to bother explaining. I'm um, uh, But I, I think that they established pretty well that uh, security protocol at that prison sucked. Okay, so anyway, because um, when they had to do the paperwork, the person dropped a milk crate on a rope, and they put the binder in it, and he pulled it back up, and he was like, "Oh yeah, paperwork checks out." <laughs> yeah, so so the maniac cop uh, is fighting the three guys that killed him or that disfigured him. He gets his revenge, you know. He finally gets those guys, and then he and then he gets caught on fire. I would say he's then, on fire the whole time. By the way, and he's on fire like so like, the whole time, and and then. He fall he falls out of a window onto a bus which explodes. Like there is and he's on he's in one he's on fire for so long that bus explodes for no reason. Like that was like the ending of this movie was insane in the best way. <laughs> like it was so funny and fun and like zany and like I was super into the ending of Maniac Cop 2 and then that credits music hit. And, oh, it went, no. and it went from like this movie was the same as Maniac Cop One to this movie was clearly better than Maniac Cop One <laughs> because that that credits mu- music in Maniac Cop Two, whew, that is a that is something else. Let me tell you that's Ghostbusters level catchy. So, 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 <laughs> so great. So yeah, that's that's my kind of my general thoughts about the Maniac Cop duology. There is a third movie, but I've heard it is not worth watching, so I did not watch it. Uh, but it, it has a great name. You ready for this? Maniac Cop Three: Badge of Silence. Yeah. What is wow. that? What is a badge of silence? So, as somebody who knows that movie, uh, Maniac Cop Three is a passing of the torch because there's a new Maniac Cop who was doing the right thing and got like set up or killed. I can't remember which one. And so, Maniac Cop comes to avenge her because that's sure a thing. And so, oh, so they went with a Halloween three sort of thing. Yeah, kind of. Um, so I feel like uh, the one thing I have to point out, Nathan is massively underselling the buddy comedy serial killer angle in Maniac Cop 2. Like, I know you brought it up, but it made the movie. Like, well, I'm <laughs> telling you, it was it was it was it was dragging me along to the end where Maniac Cop was on fire for 15 minutes. And the Maniac Cop it. definitely speak, on fire so for 15 uh, minutes. So it's a one-sided conversation. Like, oh no, he spoke oh. once, and it was horrifying. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, yes. he was like cordial. That was a, that yeah. was when you when you talked. Yeah. Yes, it only well, it sounded like that. But if you were saying it from the bottom of a well, with like drier, somehow 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 drier too. Like, <laughs> it was less, so weird. Dry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. This. Uh, yeah. The, so the whole thing is they're doing a reverse prison break um, where the serial killer guy thinks that their plan is to like free all of the prisoners on death row to like pull an Arkham Asylum or something. I don't really know. This was not well thought out. And then they go in there and instead Maniac Cop's like, I could do that or I could murder these three guys who Maniac Copped me. And 
So then, like, the serial killer guy's like, you betrayed me, which is a great end to a, a, a serial killer buddy comedy. All right. So, uh, yeah, my favorite line in the movie, of course, either movie, they don't make cops like him anymore. He was one of a kind. <laughs> and then if you want to, just Google Maniac Cop Rap. Um, <laughs> what? That's the, that's the credits song, Maniac Cop Rap. Oh, you didn't, I, did, I you, did, did you stop? Did you stop paying attention for the uh, credits? Yeah, man, I saw the end and I was out. Oh, you oh, missed dude, out. You missed dude. the best part of the movie. I oh. think Maniac Cop Two, Maniac Cop Rap was a, a it was something else. Man, it was never, dragon sound levels of specific. Never have I uh, thought anything was so terrible. Most likely since the Beastmaster rap. Uh, <laughs> also, my favorite line of Maniac Cop was, uh, "The whole city's going to hell. You can't take a pee anywhere anymore." <laughs> Yeah, that was a t- I definitely remember that one. Uh, right, Eric, uh, you have anything, final thoughts about Maniac Cop? No, man. I Honestly, it, that that is definitely a get together with friends and watch because that's what made it so enjoyable. <laughs> right, for, for Eric, for Kevin, we'll see you guys next week. Go Hawks.